You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Are you ready for God's Word this morning? Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse Verses 7 through 13, and if I could get, there we go, the back screen. Can we just give it up for our digital media department? I just want to say, like, there's so much that happens on a Sunday morning where I will literally be standing here, and it looks, they're just going back and forth and talking, and there's all this stuff, and it freaks me out because I'm like, what broke? Right? Like, what is happening? And they always have it, uh, this calm, like, hey, let's do this. And whatever was broken is now working. I'll start to hear some feedback from, you know, the microphone. And I don't even have to say anything. I just see them directing one another, and they take care of it. So one more time, can we give it up for our volunteer digital media team? Outstanding job. Over the past couple weeks, we've been discussing gifts that God gives the church for the sake of building up the church. Now, oftentimes in our American mindset, we think of building the church as in what? Bigger buildings, expansion, bigger programs, whatever it may be. But when Jesus talks about building the church, he's talking about building people because after all, who's the church? Say it with some authority, people. Who's the church? We are. We are. So when Jesus talks about building the church, when he talks about gifts given to the church for building the church, which is what we're going to be discussing today, he's talking about gifts that are used to reach those who don't know Jesus. He's talking about gifts that are used to disciple those who need disciples, who need to grow in their relationship with you. And I don't know about you, but I need some discipleship. Anybody else? Discipleship is this lifelong pursuit of growing closer with Jesus. So it makes sense that Jesus would give us gifts for building his church because we can't build his church on our own. Can I get a witness this morning? We can't do the work on our own. As a matter of fact, Paul said, if I preach a message trying to convince people to follow Jesus out of my own cleverness and wisdom, I'm actually robbing the cross of its power. What Paul is talking about is he's saying the cross just preached the message because the message, that's where the power is. The power isn't from you. And so it just makes sense that in this supernatural thing that we call church, that Jesus would give us gifts necessary for building it. Because we're talking about building people. And you and I can't save anyone, but we can lead others to the one who can. Amen? So Jesus, he gives us these supernatural gifts, and over the past uh, few weeks, we've discussed these gifts, a few of them, that have a supernatural tone to them. Has anybody picked up on that? There's a supernatural component to these gifts that we've been discussing, and any time that we discuss something that has a supernatural nature to it or component to it, I feel like the room, as a pastor, can I like reveal some stuff, some of the pressures of a pastor, is that Okay. I'm going to whether you agree or disagree. It's therapeutic for me. So as a pastor, I feel this tension in the room. And when we talk about supernatural, that the room kind of braces itself. That people kind of, you know, get a little tense and we're like, what are we talking about when we talk about supernatural? Are we talking about like the, <laughs> like the walls start shaking and weird stuff starts happening, Pastor? And I just want to kind of want to talk a little bit this morning about how the fact that when God moves, it's supernatural. 
And it's not something that we should be afraid of. Doesn't it just make sense? Follow me on this moment as I preach slash vent. Doesn't it make sense that if you and I proclaim to believe in a real God, that when he moves, it's supernatural? And if you and I are proclaiming to follow a very real God, and we aren't posturing ourselves for that real God to reveal himself, then we are following a false religion, going through the motions. But if God is truly real, and I'm going to assume that we all believe that he's real, if not, maybe by the end of the service you'll come to that conclusion, that's my prayer, But if God is indeed real and we believe that he's real, then it only makes sense that every time that we gather together, whether it's even individually in our prayer life, our devotional life, or corporately as the body, that we should anticipate something supernatural to happen. Because it's God. And I just, I get confused because I feel like our culture is thirsty for something supernatural. It's why all these weird supernatural shows are popping up and there's, everybody's just enamored with these supernatural shows. And I also want to say that for those who are here this morning and you're still kind of like uncomfortable and you're like, you know, pastor, when we talk about supernatural, I don't want things to get weird. As the pastor, I'm saying, yeah, me neither. And any time that something has been done or maybe something's been done in the name of supernatural, but really it left you hurt, broken, and confused, that's an unbiblical practice that stole the title supernatural. Is this making sense this morning? When I talk about supernatural, I'm talking about God moving in such a way that what was broken is now restored and made new. I'm talking about marriages that were once in this desolate, hopeless place being restored. I'm talking about somebody who denies the existence of God and God revealing himself in such a way that it becomes undeniable. I'm talking about a supernatural occurrence like the one that took place here a few weeks ago where we had a lady who had cancer on her spine and they said your options are you leave it and your life expectancy is shortened you have it surgically removed or chemo and she went to all of these doctors and they saw ever so clearly pictures clear pictures of these tumors on her back and after a few months of praying in this church just showering her with prayer Christine Zarnowski came and shared her testimony three weeks ago that she went back and after multiple tests and screenings and MRIs and everything they said there's nothing there I'm talking about supernatural like that. And the irony is that we have a culture that is starving, thirsty for the supernatural, and we have a church that is afraid of the supernatural. And I I just want to talk just for a moment, and I want you to consider something. If you're still here and you say, supernatural is kind of weird. Well, that's what makes supernatural supernatural. (laughs) Something that is not natural It's supernatural. (laughs) And if you're here and you're still kind of debating this, like, I I don't know, Pastor, I want you to consider this. That supernatural is what unbelievers and atheists request the most. And if we as a church are afraid of God actually moving, then, friend, I'm afraid you're chasing false religion, and that's not Jesus. Jesus actually moves and speaks. Amen, church? God has plans that are still unfolding. He's still moving in mighty ways. He's still healing. Can I hear an amen this morning? He's still restoring. 
there are still supernatural movements of God. And I just, I hope and I pray, and I want to challenge us to be a church that never keeps God at arm's length but that we would welcome the Holy Spirit, that we would welcome Jesus into this place with open arms. Amen, church? Amen. I'm getting, it's cutting out a little bit, if we can, thank you guys. All right, so let's discuss the fivefold ministry gifts. That was my introduction. We'll be here for a while. Ephesians, for those of you who are new and you're looking at your friends like, is he serious? No, I'm not serious. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. If you turn there with me this morning, again, over the past couple weeks, this is what we've been rooted in. And I want to challenge you that if you have a hard copy uh, Bible or even if it's on the app, I want to challenge you to take notes, even write them. It's okay to make bullet points in the Word of God. I heard it put this way one time, that people who have Bibles that are so worn out that they're falling apart have lives that are intact. So I want to challenge you. Mark that thing up. As we go through this series, as we continue through this series, I want to challenge you. Highlight the gifts that we're talking about, which we're going to be getting to here in just a moment. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Skipping down now to verse 11. So Christ himself, here's the gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Why did he give us these gifts? Verse 12 tells us to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, once again, as we gather in your house this morning, I just pray that whatever you begin to stir in our hearts and our minds this morning, as you begin to speak to us, I pray that, that, that what you speak would just, you know, that we would hear and then not do anything with it. But help us to posture ourselves here and now for you to move, but for us to respond in obedience. I pray this morning that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers. And as we apply your word to our lives, God, I pray that the signs and wonders of following you would follow that obedience. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said? Amen. The fivefold ministry gifts that Jesus has given to the church for the sake of building up the body of Christ. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. This morning, if you want to circle the, the, the gift, the word apostle, that's what we're going to be discussing this morning. The gift that Jesus has given the church here in 2022 is the gift of apostleship. Apostle in the Greek means and is translated to mean this, literally, the sent one. Everybody say sent one. This means that the person was perceived and viewed, acted like an ambassador, a representative of someone carrying authority of the one who sent them in the first place. An apostle is someone commissioned by another to represent that person in some way. Apostles are given authority by the one who has sent them in order to complete the task that they have been given. An example of the sent one can be found throughout the word of God. In the Old Testament, we have a primary example of 
Moses in Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. What scripture is teaching us here is that it wasn't like Moses became God. Moses was an apostle. He was a sent one called to represent God. So as God moved through a Moses' life, Pharaoh would see that God is indeed very real because of all of the things that God used Moses to accomplish. Is this making sense this morning? This isn't to be misunderstood as if Moses was God. No, Moses was representing God. And everything that Moses did had to represent God's character. Do you see the parallels between this uh, scripture and Exodus in the New Testament? Anybody? How in the New Testament, you and I are still sent ones. We're still called to represent Jesus, but now we have him internally enabling us to do so. We often look at the story of Moses like if you're familiar with scripture, you'll know that Moses' downfall was that he struck a rock and therefore he didn't enter into the promised land. And I don't know about you, but there was once upon a time in my life where I looked at that and I'm like, God, that's kind of harsh. Has anybody else read that scripture like that or just me? If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. But I looked at that and I'm like, that, that's like, that's harsh punishment. The dude cracked a rock out of frustration. I don't mean to brag, but I've done far worse. I'm like, I, I've done far worse than struck a rock. And this guy's kept out of the promised land. But then we have to understand what Moses was called to do. He was called to represent God's character. And in this moment, he misrepresented God's character. He allowed the people to perceive God as angry, bitter, and impatient. And God is not those things. So in this moment, Moses, to a degree, committed the sin of blasphemy. That's why this is such a big deal. And friends, the lesson that we learn in Scripture when we read Moses and the downfall is this. When anyone is closely identified with God, obedience is absolutely necessary. So let's increase the pressure a little bit. We are called Christians. We are called to represent Christ. How much more should this reality compel you and I to live up to the title and represent the one who sent us? Throughout the Old Testament, we see many called to represent God. In the New Testament, the word apostle appears more than 80 times. The, time, uh, the term was used interchangeably for the 12 disciples of Jesus. Others beyond the 12 are named as apostles. For example, uh, Barnabas and Paul are called apostles. The Eastern Church named 72 that were sent out two by two in, in, uh, by Jesus in Luke chapter 10. They are given orders to go out and heal the sick and miracles are performed and demons are cast out, and some fall into the belief today that the office of apostleship has ceased to exist, that it only existed whenever, there, whenever Jesus was here physically present on earth. Others say, no, the gift and ministry of apostleship is still continuing. Wherever you fall on this spectrum, I'm not here to debate this this morning. I think that we can all agree that the work of an apostle is still happening and still necessary for today. The fact and the reality is that you and I were sent in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, when Jesus said these beautiful words, go. 
That's him saying, I'm sending you in my name. We're all sent by God in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. and Romans chapter 10, verse 15, Paul says, how will people hear the gospel unless there are those that are sent by him? So if the word apostle means sent one and you and I are called to be senders, that we are sent by Jesus, I think it's still fair to say that the work of apostleship is still continuing and we're called to it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Jesus has given us this incredible gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which takes place in Acts chapter 2. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit empowerment so that signs and wonders follow us in what we do in his name. John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says something very curious. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. Hit the pause button. You know that he raised someone from the dead. With that reality now understood, look at what he says after this. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Often we misinterpret this verse and we think greater miracles. Friend, if you can top raising someone from the dead, call me. I want to know what it is that you're doing. What Jesus is talking about is he's saying not that the quality of the miracle isn't be greater. He's saying the propensity of miracles happening is going to be greater. He's saying because my spirit is in you and I'm sending you out, we're kind of like the 72, except now there's millions of us. And Jesus, because he is one with the Father, he knows that this is what is going to happen, that miracles are going to happen regularly. Is there anyone here today who's hungry for signs and wonders to happen regularly? Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. He didn't leave us empty-handed when he went to the Father. Amen? It gives us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And what's so cool about this moment is, and I'm going to get to this in a moment, but the 72 are sent out and they experience the work of Jesus, this supernatural occurrence. And they're kind of like in shock, like, Jesus, did you see what just happened? And we're going to get to his response in just a moment. But I want to discuss with you a few things this morning, and that's the traits of apostolic ministry. Because I believe that there's some here today that God is calling you to more of a, a apostolic ministry. And the difference between apostolic ministry and evangelism is signs and wonders follow apostolic ministry. Evangelism is going out and presenting the gospel. And yes, sometimes there are signs and wonders, but there's not really an expectation for that. The main focus is going out and sharing the gospel. But whenever we look at apostolic ministry, we just see God using individuals in a greater way where signs and wonders follow. And please hear me, and I'm going to expound on this point here in a little bit. But signs and wonders do not follow for the sake of the church being entertained by them. Signs and wonders follow so that people can be reached for Jesus. 
Traits of apostolic ministry, signs and wonders occur. This is the biggest difference between apostolic ministry and evangelism. Jesus sends out 72 to minister and prepare for his arrival, and he tells them to perform signs and wonders in his name. Luke chapter 10, verse 8 through 9, it says this, Jesus speaking, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick. Oh, thanks, Jesus. How am I supposed to do that? Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And Jesus goes on to give instruction for doing these things, performing these signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. So later, after they return and they experience being used in a supernatural way, they look at Jesus, and I love their response because they look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, even the demons flee in your name. And Jesus' response as he says, just be glad that your names are written in heaven. What did he mean by that? Jesus was drawing the point back to salvation. Jesus was drawing the point back to don't run after the signs, run after me and the signs will follow. Jesus is talking about how salvation is the prerequisite for everything else that this is of up, the utmost importance. Is this making sense this morning, church? Signs and wonders accompanied all whom Jesus sent out in church. They still accompany those that Jesus is sending out today. If anyone here feels like you have an apostolic calling on your life and is, mix, and is missing the miraculous and the signs and wonders, it doesn't mean that you're not called. It just means that you have some more praying to do. Amen, church? Caroline Tennant, the author of this book, Catch the Wind of the Spirit, which I mentioned last week, some of the sermon material that I've been preaching from has been Caroline Tennant's book. She's an Assemblies of God minister within our denomination, just an incredible lady, but she talks about how her experience, she talks about her experience with apostolic ministry and how it's just risky. She talks about how she's driving through this rough neighborhood, the kind of neighborhood that you don't want to be in after dark. Have you ever been there? It's called Philly. Um, but... I didn't say that. But it's the kind of area that you don't want to be in after. I love Philly, by the way. Great, great cheesesteaks. Love them. So it's the kind of neighborhood, though, that she goes to, and she, she's worried about her safety and everything else, and she's driving around the corner, and she sees a young man standing on the corner of this street, and she feels like the Holy Spirit is compelling her to go and talk to that individual. So as she's struggling with this idea, she drives right by the guy in a couple corners down, and she talks about how, she's like, I just couldn't shake this feeling. So she drives back to this individual, gets out of the car and walks up on him, and he's on his cell phone on this phone call, and she's waiting and waiting and waiting, and the phone call's carrying on, and she's kind of thinking to herself, like, Lord, um, I, why am I sitting here waiting. Why does he have to be on the phone? And she says, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment and said, if you would have listened when I first told you, he wouldn't have been on the phone call. The Greek word for that is touche. And so she's, she's waiting and finally he gets off the phone and she comes up to him and she says, um, sir, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I was driving by and I felt like God put you on my heart and that God wanted me to come and talk to you. 
And he puts his phone away and he says, and what did the Lord tell you to tell me? Kind of taken aback by this response, the fact that, I don't know, like he didn't run away. (laughs) She says, are you a Christian? And he looks and he says, I once was. And so she just expresses her heart. She says, I feel like the Lord just wanted me to stop you and, and just tell you that, that he's here, he sees you, he loves you, he has plans for your life. And this individual puts his head down and he says, of all the days for you to tell me this. And he begins to share how he was unfaithful to his wife and left her and his kids in another state and moved in with another woman. And later that evening, he was going to purchase a house with the woman that he was living with. And by the end of this conversation, the man had given up on that deal, threw it away, and had plans to return to his family and seek to make things right. Signs and wonders. Friend, you can't tell me that that's by coincidence. There is no mathematical number that you could ever solve that would say this is possible. The fact of the matter is that when we flow in apostolic ministry, when we're seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that signs and wonders follow. But it's very important that you and I don't chase the signs and wonders. We just chase Jesus and are obedient to him and leave the signs and wonders in his hands. Amen, church. I said amen, church. Signs and wonders always point to Jesus. Traits of apostolic ministry, a willingness, and this is a rough reality a willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ. The Apostle Paul lists some of his sufferings and persecutions, insults, weaknesses, church burdens, pressures. And I just want to say this morning that like, if the Apostle Paul went through some things, I think it's fair to say you and I are going to go through some things. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25 through 28, Paul speaking here. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. The New Testament apostles were flogged in prison. Mobs often got angry and tried to kill the apostles. And the list goes on and on. And what is their response, church, C3 church in 2022? What is their response? Do they pray for God to remove, relieve the situations? What do they pray for? There's a pattern in Scripture where they pray for more boldness. They pray for the ability to keep on doing the same thing. Why would anyone do this? Why would anyone continue to go through beatings? Like how many of us would have dropped out after beating number one? 
Why would somebody continue to do this? And I'm convinced it's because they understand that the fruit is worth the price. That they understand that what becomes of this, people being reached for Jesus, is worth the pain that they go through. You see, years and years ago, a few decades ago, there were missionaries where it was somewhat normal for missionaries, whenever they went overseas to their mission field, it was somewhat normal for them to pack coffins rather than suitcases. Because they fully intended that one of two things is going to happen. I'm either going to go to this missions field and dedicate my entire life to it and die of old age, or I am going to arrive and get persecuted and killed. Either way, I'm going to need a coffin because I'm not coming back. And when missionaries said goodbye to their families before heading to another country, that was, the, that was fully anticipated that that was the last time that they would ever see their families. And there's one missionary couple that comes to mind that specifically they were going to an unreached tribe. And they weren't sure if they were even going to have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to this tribe or if they would be killed on sight. But regardless, they felt promptings in their heart. We need to go to these people. We need to introduce them to Jesus. So they packed their coffins. And the long story short is not only were they received by this tribe, not only did they reach this tribe for Jesus, and that tribe still to this day is a Christian tribe, but those missionaries did end up dying there. They lived a long, happy life, but on their tombstones to this day, it says, when they came, there was no light. When they left, there was no darkness. It's risky. Being a Christian is risky. Flowing in apostolic ministry is risky. I could tell you about my friend Joe Gordon, who's a missionary to a location that I can't disclose. But Joe ends up going, and he and this team feel led to, again, go into the mountains and find these unreached people groups. They arrive at village number one, and they were beaten so badly that Joe's partner, the co-missionary, was killed. And so Joe and his team, after receiving this beating, and he could show you his scars on his back, after receiving this beating, they end up going back to their hometown and traveling. Eight months later, Joe is praying, and he says, I feel the Holy Spirit calling me back. So he and his team, they write up their wills. They leave their families, not knowing what's going to happen, but God is calling us. They arrive at this tribe, and the leader of this tribe comes out and says, you're the same people that were here eight months ago. He says, yes, we are. He said, ever since you guys came, we have been plagued with drought and famine, and we cried out and said to the God of those men, if you're real, you will send them back. That tribe is now a Christian tribe, and as a result of Joe proclaiming and preaching the gospel, the entire village took out their relics and their false idols and burned them in the center of the village. <laughs> Traits of apostolic ministry, a willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ. Why, pastor? Why? Because a willingness to suffer... For the cause of Christ, why would we do this? Because the victories outweigh the pain. And it is painful, but it's worth it. In church, there's going to come a time where 
in our nation, in our world, where following Jesus comes at a greater cost than what we've experienced as a nation, even what we've experienced as a nation, will we still see it as worth it? Will we still recognize those precious lives coming to know Jesus? And I've often heard this, that you can't threaten a Christian with an eternity with Jesus. So if death is the result, I'll spend eternity with my Savior. Traits of apostolic ministry, a willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ because the victories outweigh the pain. Traits of apostolic ministry, a passion to uphold biblical doctrine. Paul's letters are full of doctrinal guidance, sometimes emphasizing certain truths. I want to challenge you, church. When you read scripture and you see a phrase or a truth repeated, it's not because they were bored and needed to fill out more space. That's the author putting an exclamation point there. That's the author underlining, saying, remember this truth. And Paul does that. Throughout all of his letters, you'll see different truths that he repeats three, four, sometimes even five times. Why does he do that? Because he's emphasizing a point, and often his point is to uphold biblical doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says this, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Jesus Christ. We live in a day and age where taking doctrine and dismantling it is the new norm. There's this movement happening right now in our nation titled the Woke Gospel. And what that really translates to is it is unbiblical, where there's no such thing as sin and everyone gets into heaven. And what Paul is teaching here is he's talking about false beliefs similar to this false doctrine that are taking people away from Jesus. And Paul makes the point, stay rooted in the gospel message of Jesus. Well, how do I know what's false doctrine? Paul, get in the word and read what I've told you. Now more than ever, we need those who are willing to uphold the truth rather than deviating from it. And often they're under this misbelief that if I deviate from the gospel, I'll be able to convince someone to follow Jesus. And I want to challenge you. Preach the gospel. Amen, church. Uphold biblical doctrine no matter what it costs you. Worship team, would you come? Often those who are called into apostolic ministry or want to be used in this manner, there's typically a a passion about you where you want to uphold this biblical doctrine. And in addition to that, other traits of apostolic ministry is that those who flow in apostolic ministry, they strive for health to be maintained in the church. Notice Paul's words. Paul gives this list of beatings and all that he has gone through. Notice how he ends the list. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Above everything else, Paul says, I'm concerned for the churches, that they would stay the course, that they would remain rooted in their relationship with Jesus, that they would preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ, his 
his life, death, and resurrection. Paul, he says, this is my concern. Apostolic ministry in our day and age, sometimes those who feel called to it think that it's this kind of independent ministry where you travel around to all these churches, signs and wonders follow, and and that's it. And I just want to tell you that independent is not a word found in Scripture. God never calls us to be independent. Come on, somebody. It's the opposite. He calls us to be dependent upon him and dependent on the body of Christ. Rooted. And right now the church is getting hit with all of these different weird beliefs that you can like church hop, that you can hold six to eight different memberships. And scripture says no one can serve two masters. And especially with this gift, there's a concern rooted in the body of Christ, seeing health in the body of Christ, that that is on the forefront of our thinking, that we want to see the body built up. And please, again, we have to get this out of our mindset that building the body doesn't translate to bigger buildings. It means discipling people, reaching people. Jesus was more concerned about people than he was buildings. Apostolic ministry says, I'm focused on the body of Christ being built up. Would you stand with me this morning, church? I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question. Is this an area of ministry? that you have a desire and willingness to operate in. It's risky. Sometimes it's painful. But it's worth it. And the primary objective of somebody who seeks to to be used in this manner is taking the enemy's territory and pushing it back and bringing God's kingdom into that place. And it's not a ministry for the faint of heart. So you pay these prices, but the fruit and what comes as a result is signs and wonders. God using you in ways where you feel compelled to go and have a conversation with somebody that you've never met. God using you in ways where he's sending you to challenges and difficult places for the sake of bringing the gospel to them. Some of them, I would say your workplace is located in what I have described. You're like, that. that's my office building. I go there every day. And now it's just a matter of this apostolic ministry taking place. But you and I have to have a willingness to go through some things, but we also have to have a heart that says, I recognize that the price is worth it. So I'm going to ask, would you bow your heads with me this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And I want to ask you a question. And before I ask it, let me just say this. I'm not going to call you out. Nobody's going to look around. We're not going to call you forward. But this morning, for those who feel a stirring in their spirit, we're like, I want to be used like this, Pastor. I feel something in me. Call me crazy. But I, I'm willing, I want to be used like this. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand simply so that we can pray over you. Again, I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to embarrass you. 
But I believe that for, again, such a time as this here in 2022, that God is looking for those who will say, I will, who are willing to look different. And what I mean by that is pure and set apart. So without anybody looking around, I want to ask you, if you feel a stirring in your heart, you're like, I want to be used like this, Pastor. I feel something. I want signs and wonders, the risk, everything that you're talking about. It connects. Would you just lift a hand up and hold it there for a moment? Hands going up all over. Keep them there. And I want to say this. Twelve apostles turned the world upside down. And between this service and first service, we have about 40 to 50 who've raised their hands. Imagine what 40 to 50 apostles could do if God used 12 to change the world. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray over every raised hand or every individual who lifted their hand. God, I pray that you would begin to divide in their hearts the things that are not of you and the things that you're calling them to. Lord, I pray that you would stir up conviction, a holiness, a reverence for the work of this Spirit, a reverence for you. And God, I pray that as they continue to explore this uh, ministry, this gift, God, that, Lord, I, I pray that they would not only find this, but in the moments of confusion where they're saying, is this me or is this God? Help them to take the step that proves it's you. Help them to not just remain in the car, but help them to get out and be willing to look a little bit crazy for the sake of everything coming together for an individual to be one to Jesus. God, help us as the body of Christ to be willing to look a little weird for the sake of others coming to know you. Help us to be a church that takes risks, that gets out of the boat in at least attempts to walk with you rather than remaining and saying, is this me or is this him? Help us to be a church that is rooted in biblical doctrine, never forsaking it, but putting it into practice and operating in these gifts. Because, Lord, we recognize that you are still doing the miraculous. There are still signs and wonders. We thank you for the testimony of Christine and the fact that you healed her of tumors and cancer. God, we thank you, and we're believing for more testimonies. So, Lord, I pray over every person who raised their hands. May there be a powerful anointing that you place upon them. And may we recognize that if we want the anointing, we have to seek obedience. And may we pursue you willing to forsake ourselves and our personal desires and embrace your desires and all that you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Before we close, I want to challenge you, church. There's probably weirder things that you've done in your life than walk up to a stranger and ask them about Jesus. Am I right or am I right? You've probably done some things, especially BC, before being a Christian. There's probably some things that you did that maybe some people still have pictures and video footage of where you acted like an absolute mess and fool. I feel like it's only right that we at least test this out and that we're willing to look like fools for the sake of Christ because it's a better cause now. Amen, church? The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to leave with an answer 
You test it out. Should I go up to this person? Should I go here on this mission trip? Whatever it may be. Should I serve in this ministry? Should I be a part of the altar team? Should I do this? I want to challenge you. Test it out because the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to find out the answer. And if the answer is no, this is where it gets beautiful. You test it out again until you get a yes. And when you have that yes, there's nothing like it. When you experience that moment where there's a supernatural movement happening, and the most beautiful thing is, it, is it's not dependent on you. You're just doing what God told you to, and He's moving, and He's breaking a heart, and He's remolding the heart, and He's reshaping the person, and all you're doing is saying yes to Jesus. There's nothing like it. Can we be a church that takes risks? Amen? Amen. Can I pray with you once more before we conclude? No? Okay, well, then, would you bow your heads? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much again that we can come together and gather in your name, and we know that you're here, that you reveal yourself. We've sensed your presence so strongly here this morning. Now, God, I pray that we wouldn't just leave here with an experience, but we would leave here with lives changed. God, that we would take this experience and walk out in obedience and put your word into action, understanding that that's when the fruit shows, when we live out your word, when we do what it says. So God, help us to leave this place being apostles, representatives of the one who sent us. Help us to represent you in speech and in conduct, in our attitudes, in our desires, the places in our hearts that people can't even see. Help us to represent you in those holy, sacred moments and places throughout our lives. God, help us to see ourselves as the sent ones. So Lord, would you lead us and guide us? And until we gather back here again, would you protect us and watch over us? And Lord, we pray a special anointing and blessing upon our children. We hold them up with open hands. May you move mightily with this generation. Protect them this school year from any belief or doctrine that is not biblical. And I pray that they would be lights in their schools this year, taking the kingdom into darkness, God. I pray that they would be warriors for Christ in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, if you believe God's going to do it, would you give him a shout of praise this morning, church? Amen, amen, amen. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.